my race, running my race till I'm one of the all time greats. Skate, running my race, running my race till I'm one of the all time greats. Wait, wait, wait. Running my race, running my race till I'm one of the all time greats. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Paradisos. That is right. That is right. I am back with another installment. Today is Tuesday, guys, and you know what Tuesdays mean. That is right. Our guest, our wonderful, wonderful guest for this episode is UK author and psychologist Philip Adcock. I had the honor and the pleasure of sitting down with Mr. Adcock and having an amazing conversation about shopping psychology and a little bit about the brain. We also talked about why understanding shopper psychology should be important for companies. What roles do emotions play in becoming a successful person and whether one truly masters their brain or not and if so what can someone do to achieve that and much much more so who is philip adcock philip adcock is what you would call a shopping psychologist, which entails providing clear and actionable shopper understanding that simplifies shopping, improves the customer experience, and enriches trading relationships. He is managing director at Shopping Behavior Explained. He has worked with companies like Apple, Canon, Coca-Cola, Kellogg's, Samsung, Warner Brothers, and much, much more. He has also authored three books, including the Presenter's Handbook, How to Give a Captivating pre Presentation Every Time, Shopology, The Science of Supermarket Shopping, and A Strategy to Spend Less and Get More, and my personal favorite, Master Your Brain, Training Your Mind for Success in Life. When Mr. Adcock is not discovering new things the brain is capable of doing, he is spending most of his time swimming and riding horses since his motorcycle riding days are little to none. So please, please enjoy. Hopefully you enjoy it as much as I did. You're going to notice that along with the video that we are going to be releasing on YouTube of our Skype call, you're just going to notice me just smiling and giggling the whole time because it was just such an honor to speak with such a great author of one of my favorite books so please enjoy don't forget to like comment and subscribe don't forget to support so we can continue bringing amazing guests on the show like this and until next time i see you soon my beautiful people so today I have Mr. Philip Adcock. I, I, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> I don't mean to be giddy or just like so excited, but just like I mentioned a couple of seconds ago, I'm truly, truly honored to be sitting here and having a conversation with Philip Adcock, author of The Amazing Master Your Brain. My goodness. Uh, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, it's going to be a lot of action-packed, knowledge-filled podcast, hopefully. Um, please, Mr. Adcock, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, a little less about what you do because we're going to get into that but just what you do what you love uh hobbies just who is philip adcock <laughs> who is philip adcock nice to speak to you by the way nice to speak to you um i'm, I'm just a, a guy from the uk that little island near europe and um i've spent my entire life did with first my own brain and then other people's brains and ever since i was uh, knee height and not much. I've experimented with my own brain, and uh, and I've a very varied history. I've ridden horses for a living. I've been a retailer for a living, um, and for 
25, 30 years, I have helped consumers and shoppers part with their money for a living by helping them open their wallets and purses. Um, in terms of hobbies and what, what gets gets me going, yeah, I've, I've got a big old motorbike I like riding. Nice. I'm too old for that now, but I still like riding the damn thing. Uh, if I can't get on my motorbike, I like to get on a horse, and I swim a lot. But it's just I just... I don't, genuinely, this is going to sound so patronising and so rubbish. I just like being me, mate. Just fun. <laughs> Very true for it, honest. I like it. So let's, <clears throat> excuse me, let's dive right in with my first question. And uh, you kind of sort of answered it just a bit, but um, sort of elaborate more about what about the brain and human behavior interested you so much that drove you to become an expert in it? Okay. Um, what drove me to to learn about it, nobody's an expert in the brain yet, we, okay. we're about 100 True. million years away from that, uh, was to uh, realise there's some things I wanted to do or achieve that I couldn't, and be cross because I couldn't work out why I couldn't. To give you a very simple example, I can read music. Read music, it's not difficult to read music. I'm not very good on the piano because it takes my brain so long to take that visual input through it, out onto the end of my fingers and down onto the keys. So... That was as a child. Why can't I do that? And it frustrated me that I couldn't do stuff. Um, on the other side of the coin, I was only a, a short guy, but I could run very fast. Um, so that avoided me getting into trouble. I'd run away. <laughs> and uh, so, so it's like, okay, how can I use my brain to run a bit faster? And, and then I, I just, an auntie of mine, an old English auntie, she's still with us, she bought me one of these books, How to Get Anything You Ever Wanted Without Even Trying type books. And I read it. And I thought, there's some good stuff in this. And so we, we got involved in all that. And But I also started to read other books and realized there's an awful lot of hogwash in some of these books. You know, standing in front of the mirror, shouting, I must, I must improve my bust or whatever. It ain't going to do anything. It ain't going to do anything. So from there, it's all right, I'm going to learn about this brain. Um, and one of the biggest turning points, to give you a nice bit of background, is I was working for a company and we were connected with a big sporting event here in the UK. And I had to go up and do some work at this event, nothing to do with what I do now. And the night before it started, there was a guy at the local town with a hypnotism show. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go along. I've always been interested. Let's see what this guy's up to. So I sat there with another 500 people and basically hypnotized 200 of us, me included. And uh, to, to tell you how it worked, um, he told us all uh, that we got our fingers stuck together above our heads, which we did. Um, and we had to go on the stage and he did this thing, which I'll explain in a moment. And then suddenly our fingers came apart, but we were fast asleep on the stage. So all the women were going back to their seats. All the men were falling asleep in a big heap. He then, this is me. I mean, I'm now an expert on the brain, they say. Then he said, um, right, when you hear some music, you'll dance at a disco. That's how long ago it was. Like you've never danced before. And uh, so on came this music. We all started dancing. And one at a time, he came along and shook us by the hand and took away the whatever he'd done, the, the hoodoo, the voodoo, took it away and we were all finding it. And I thought, A, that is absolutely brilliant, the way he can control my mind like that, and B, I want to be able to do it. <laughs> so then we started reading about that, and it takes, yeah, anybody who starts reading about the brain will find it initially an impossible journey. Psychology, the way it's taught at schools and colleges, is appalling for the most part. Um, because it's just teaching you the wrong way to do it. Once you realize that it's this huge potential thing you've got, this friend of yours, it's much better to learn about it then and make it work for you, not against you. Is it, it, is, is it a bit overwhelming, let's say, for just a regular person like you were that was became interested in the brain? Is it, can it be sort of overwhelming going down that path of understanding or trying to fully understand what the brain does or what it is? Uh, to be honest, I find it the opposite, because most people think they're this human supercomputer that makes sensible decisions every day, blah, 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 uh, when actually we're flaky, we're flawed. We make emotional decisions on a whim, on uh, fight and flight, on find and mate. That's how we make decisions. I have a very, take this phrase like you like, but this is, this is how I genuinely feel. I feel that I'm extremely privileged because I'm one of the few people on earth who realize how stupid we all are. <laughs> And when you, when you see yourself from on the, the, stu the stupidity 
index mm-hmm. with everybody else. You think, this is a real advantage. Yeah, I know, know why somebody does something stupid, why I do the wrong things. It doesn't make you any cleverer, any smarter. But by God, it, it helps you justify yourself a bit more. And, and you, you, know, you can be in the most intimidating situation. You can have to go and see the bank manager, the doctor, whatever, uh, the tax man, the worst of all. And they, they, they use this overbearing um, attitude and behavior and authority. And as soon as you realize that their brain is as stupid as yours, <laughs> you see them in a whole new light. And it makes any meeting much easier. There we go. <laughs> okay. Understood. So I want to get a little bit into um, shopping behavior explained. Uh, you've been a part of it yes. for about uh, nearly 20 years now. So what exactly does shopping behavior explained do? Shopping behavior Explained. I mean, it has, has given me the life I've got today. It has given me the, the 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 ability and the tools to learn about the brain in a professional context, not in a academic flawed way that teaches me the, the Latin names of various parts of my head, but in making real change in shops and watching consumers and shoppers change their behaviour. Um, in an early example, I used to work for a retailer many years ago, and we we put a, a, a strip of grey tape from the main central aisle of an electrical store into the one hi-fi aisle of many in that store. And we realized that all of a sudden, 56% of all the people going down the main aisle turned left into this hi-fi aisle, looked up, didn't know why they were there, turned and went out. So we then moved the gray carpet tape to a washing machine aisle, and guess what? They went into that one instead. And so we started to do stuff for the good of the business, but also for the fun of it. Um, to give you a very bad example, I'm not politically correct in any way. I know I'm not, but we one Sunday we were particularly bored in these stores, and we we put a, a joint display of satellite receivers and dishwashers together. Uh, buy them both together and get a discount. That's the way the deal. <laughs> then we watched couples come and argue about whether they could have them or not, because the man wanted one thing, the woman another, and it was great fun. I, so, sorry, that, that's a joking aside. I've done this for 20 years. I've worked in 17 plus countries. Um, you know, we, we're very fortunate to work with some of the biggest brands on earth. And yeah, most people don't know how shopping happens. And obviously with the inception of the internet, it's a whole new shop. And is it the same? Is it different? Um, if you take, uh, I won't use the brand name unless you tell me I can. I mean, if you take a bottle of a well-known cola, it's quite an iconic bottle. Mm-hmm. And there's an awful lot of emotion tied into the shape and the look of that bottle and the weight. Okay. If you suddenly take that bottle and it's chilled and you put it in a one-inch square picture on a well-known website, it loses all its emotion. But that's what people do. And they wonder why sales of that well-known product completely change when you put it online versus in the local sea store. It's to do with the emotion of the bottle and how do you get the emotion back online? I could go on. These are the things I do for, in my day job. It definitely astonishes me, and I, I could listen forever. Um, why? I'm sorry. Uh, what do you say? What would you say are the key factors as to why people do what they do when shopping? Uh, emotion. There you go. That's an easy answer. Easy question. Easy answer. Email. I'll explain some more. We think we are rational beings. You know, we we think that we make these sensible decisions. It's absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish. We are driven by emotion. We are driven by fight, flight, and find a mate. Three Fs and the third F, you can use another F if you want to. But it's the, that's what drives us. That all the time, everything we see, everything we touch, hear, smell, taste, the first bit of the brain that it runs past is, is this a threat, a meal, or a potential mate? So you put me in a shop and I see some designer clothing. Uh, and if the shop happens to tell me that my chance of one of those Fs is going to go up if I wear said clothing, then if I've got a credit card, Money, no object. Because my my rational brain doesn't do money. Uh, sorry, my rational brain does money. My emotional brain does not do money. My emotional brain doesn't do language. So if you understand that your emotions are driving you in the shop, from a can of cola to a designer belt, your emotions make the decision first. They're 24 times quicker and 3,000 times more persuasive than rational thought. If I got your emotions nodding, yes, you've had it. You've got to part with your money. Yeah, and it's it's funny that you actually mentioned emotions because I was going to get into emotions a little later on in the interview. But um, you mentioned that in Master Your Brain where if you're in a shop and you're sort of hesitant, if you need something, sort of go back home and think about it and let it ponder. And if, if you still want it in 15 or 30 days or whatever the case may be, 
then I guess you can get it. But if if it's not sort of like I forget what it is, but it's called um, you mentioned something like impulsive, where where we're sort of so we're impulsive buyers, but there's a way to sort of control that by um, developing your brain to understand that if you still want it in a certain amount of days, then yeah. Okay, yeah. Let, let me try to explain that in a, in a sen- sensible, easy to understand way. Okay. You may have heard there's lots of people writing at the moment about what they call system one, system two thinking. Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Most of our existence is managed and run by system one thinking, instinct and emotion. That's the two. That's system one. Fight, flight, find a mate. Um, system one is running quicker than system two. System two is the modern part of the brain, the new part of the brain. If you want a big word, the neocortex at the front. Uh, it's slower. So the, the simple thing about not just shopping, any activity, if you have a sudden urge to do something, just think twice. By thinking twice, you give the slow new bit of the brain chance to catch up. Not saying it'll win, but it, it has chance to catch up and put a, put across the case for the defense. So, you know, if to, get, to use my, I hope I'm not being too rude here, to use my Hugo Boss belt example, I've named a brand. Yeah. I mean, first time you see that belt and it's, it's $100, you think, Wearing one of those could get me laid. But your slow brain then thinks, but it's $100. Your fifth system one says, yeah, but it could get me laid. So system two says, yeah, but it's $100. System one, yeah, but it could get me laid. So system two says, actually, there's 20% off. Let's have a belt. So you then say that that's the way you do the deal. You give system two an excuse to justify the system one thinking. Amazing, amazing. So why do you think it's important for companies to understand uh, shopper psychology? Um, because most of the stuff, most of the retail activity at the moment, I, we work in the States a lot. I could talk about know, big box retail, FMCG, grocery stores. If you look at the way the brain of the shopper thinks, you can bring in online to this, and then look at the way they're presented with products. It's woefully, woefully disconnected. So you have... Uh, in, let's say, I won't name the names, but the big uh, pharmacy chains in the US, mm-hmm. you have some of the most complicated special offers and promotions on the planet. Agreed. You know, you buy two, get three free, and you get some extra points, and you get a free <laughs> hair and this, If you come back next Tuesday, we'll say hello to you. So complicated. The brain of the shopper simply can't cope. The brain of the shopper has to work with what we call heuristics, shortcuts. So basically, if I put a big red sign in front of one toothbrush in amongst 50 others, people will buy that toothbrush just because they think it's, I've reduced the choice, gets a big red sign, they assume there's a reason for the big red sign, so they buy it. I haven't given any money away by doing that. I've just put a big red sign. If, if I put a red sticker on a, a bag of chips, bag of potato chips, saying they are 50 cents, just that red sticker saying 50 cents, people think it's a special offer and will buy them. I've just, I've just given them a point of difference. So. You know, the, the world at the moment, be it the retail store or the online store, is a mother of a spreadsheet. It's all linear up and down, left and right. There are no straight lines in nature. Humans shop on emotion. Retail and online retail are missing emotion completely. It, it's astonishing to hear all of this and and think back in life of, and uh, and instances where i came across that red sticker on a bag of potato chips and i and i figured hey it's 50 cents why not it, it's <laughs> welcome it, to uh the 21st century retail world amazing so uh, just a quick story uh a while uh, while i was in high school about eight nine years ago i was shown a video in my economics class it was about supermarkets and why they do what they do to sell their products the only thing i can honestly remember is the fact that supermarkets store their milks at the back because shoppers would have to walk through uh, tons of other products before getting to the milk, which tempts them to getting into uh, uh, into getting other items. Does that sort of thinking have to do in the realm of sort of common sense, or is that what sort of shopper psychology entails? Okay. Um, the first answer to that question is, if you can imagine a 20-year pendulum, to mix my, mix my metaphors, um, at the one end of the pendulum, accountants are running retail. That's today. At the other 20 years away, psychologists are running retail. That's when you get different aisle widths that make you walk different speeds. That's when you get the milk being moved to the back of the store, but you don't anymore. Uh, at the moment, it's all about accountants. The reason they put the milk at the back, to your, you're absolutely right, is to expose you to more products. However... It's, it's sort of backfired on them. Because if you've got a 50,000 square foot Walmart or Target and milk is at the back, 
you can either go into that store and walk. Uh, you walk 200 yards from your car to get to the front of the door of the store. You walk the 500 yards to the milk. You walk five yards back to the checkout. You pay. You walk 200. So you've done a good mile walk for this milk, and you've got it for a dollar. <laughs> or you can go to your local 7-Eleven, walk 10 paces, and pay $1.20, which you do, $1.20 anytime. So what they've worked out now as much as this sounds wonderful, spreading the basics around the supermarket so you walk miles, they stop people going there. So now they start, they've got it. They've shot themselves in the foot. It's what retailers do on a daily basis. That makes total sense. Um, when we actually do have to go to break, when we come back, we're going to get into uh, master your brain and emotions, like uh, Mr. Adcock mentioned before. Um, again, thank you, Mr. Adcock. So much with, be, with being with me. I'm just some regular old kid from New York who just decided to run a podcast. And it's just so amazing to be sitting down with you and speaking with you. Uh, when we come back, this is Paradiso. Change your thoughts. You can change the world. Okay, we are back. Um, if you're just tuning in, which would be weird if you are because this is a podcast and podcasts usually start at the beginning. So, um you shouldn't be too just tuning in, but we do have Philip Adcock, author, shopping, uh, psychologist, expert. Well, he he claims he not he's not an expert, but he is an expert of the brain. People, he he truly is. Um, so sort of deviating a bit away from shopping psychology. What role does once? I mean, you kind of answered it before, but sort of elaborate a little bit more about emotions um, playing. What role does one's emotion play in becoming a successful person, whether it be in your career, in your faith, in your life, in your family? Uh, okay, well, firstly, understand that your brain operates using things called neurotransmitters, chemicals, dopamine, these sorts of things, the pleasure drugs. Um, and what gets those flowing up and down, left and right, is emotion. It, it is what's kept us alive for 300 million years, it's what's kept us finding partners for the next generation. It's, it's, it's what it's all about. But there are things about emotion that people don't realize. Um, for example, I alluded to it earlier, the emotional part of the brain can't read. So if I, if I tell you um, about a beautiful looking girl or a beautiful looking view that really makes my heart race, da 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 da, you can't, that doesn't mean anything emotionally until you turn it into something else in your head. The words don't work yet. Too much of the time, we're given words in stores, in life, and expected to be emotional with them when we have to turn them into pictures and scenarios. Uh, so there's, a, there's a, a complete lack of understanding of human emotion. It's a word that's misused because there's, first of all, there's instinct, which comes before emotion. That's if you hear a loud noise go bang, your heart races, that's instinct, so keeping you alive. Then emotion kicks in and says, it fight, fly to find a mate. Then the modern brain kicks in and says, right, hang on a minute, what is this situation, and weighs it up. And then you're left with a residual state, which is a feeling. Um, but at the moment, if, if I ask you uh, what you did in that ad break a minute ago, and, and you try to remember, a lot of it you won't remember. You won't remember whether you took one or three sips of your drink, or whatever you did, because uh, it was all done automatically, and you did it for emotional reasons, you don't remember how you felt at that moment emotionally. Uh, but that, that's what's keeping you alert, ready for the next 18 seconds of your life as you go through life. If something happens, it's all about the next 18 seconds. So we think, we, we allow reason to be our guide. Reason is not capable of guiding us sensibly to what we want in life. Let emotion guide you. I've, I could give you examples if you want. I mean, let, if yes, you let emotion... Please. Right. Um, this is one from my own life. I love this story. It's true. I practice it's not gilded to sound, but this is true. When I was much, much younger, I wanted a Mercedes-Benz. Sorry if I mentioned a car name, but I wanted one. And uh, couldn't afford it. I was working as a salesman for a company, and I got hold of a sticker of the latest C-Class Mercedes-Benz. There's a picture of it, not the words, the picture. And I stuck it inside my briefcase. Um, I took to all the meetings inside. So every time I opened my briefcase to try and sell something, I was greeted with the sticker of this Mercedes-Benz. So nothing ever happened. You know, that's it. I carried that job for three years and was doing something else. And I had to be moving house. So we were emptying the the loft, the attic, whatever you call it in the States. And in there was his briefcase. And oh, I wonder what's in that. I thought about that. So we get out the briefcase, my wife and I, open it, there's some pens, but in the top of it is still this sticker of the Mercedes-Benz. On the drive was my Mercedes-Benz that I got as a company car for my new job. 
So I had actually got it right down to the colour, the exact car I set my brain to go and get a couple of years before. It had got, got to me. And I'd totally forgotten it. Once I'd given my brain the emotional reason to go and get something, it went and got it. And I can give you others. That's how the brain does it. Plant the seed emotionally and just leave it alone. And, and it's amazing that you mentioned that because I've recently just finished, along with my, my brother who was co-host of this podcast, we recently finished reading um thinking grow rich by napoleon hill and he's all, yeah. all about just like that auto suggestion and just training the subconscious mind to believe that if you want something you have to instill it in your brain yeah and that is a that is a classic classic great book if you read that book take the time and effort to read more modern things about the brain because it makes that book easier mm. so if you take for example saying leaving it to the subconscious to some people oh, what is that isn't that the bit that i don't know about that's, a, yeah. that's just emotion that, that's that's most of the subconscious is emotion it's happening below consciousness it's all the same stuff and you know you could that was a very good book of its day it's been around a while now there's more modern science about what that means so it, it, I, I think he's no longer with us but we could do with a rewrite of that right now absolutely absolutely so i actually wanted to read an excerpt of your uh book if you don't mind <clears throat> and it's on the sort of the case of emotion it's from the chapter on the power of emotion and it's uh emotions uh alter our mental and physical states influence the drive our decision making processes and govern why we react and behave as we do they change our heart rates and level of physical activity they can include greater awareness of our environment and even exertions of bodily fluids, tears, for example. But how can you use this newfound knowledge to your advantage in your quest for greater personal achievement? Before you can make any decisions, you need to understand that your subconscious already has decided what's best for you from the perspective of fight, flight, or fornicate, like you've mentioned, knowing that you can harness those emotional urges. I highlighted that paragraph because it was just amazing. <laughs> and then I wrote, learn how to access what sets off your emotions. So like you said, it's it's all emotion. And would you say that conquering your emotions is the first step to understanding what the brain does? Um, not necessarily the first step, but probably one of the biggest steps. Um, because as I said, the first the first step about harnessing the power of your brain, to use that word, or mastering your brain, is to be able to say, okay, I've got this thing between my ears. And you have to, you have to change your beliefs. We, always have, we all have these beliefs about how we think we function, how we think we're sensible and rational. And once you realize and you truly believe we're not, then you're on the route to making things better. Because as, as long as you carry on believing that you've got this super brain that's making all the best decisions for you rationally, uh, and trying to get you the next career move, and da 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 da, da. you're never gonna, you're just gonna be fighting within your between your own ears. So, yeah, you, you've got to start. You've got to first step one is understand that we're not smart in the way we think we are. Emotionally, we're incredibly smart, but rationally, intelligently, we're not smart. Uh, then step two is start to get the emotion. I've got a great story about how to sell bars of candy. I think you call them over there mm -hmm. in an airport shop. So it's a famous triangular candy that you can buy around the world. And then we speak to them by saying, our sales aren't doing very well. What do we do? And we said, you've got to understand why people buy your candy from an airport store. So well, go on, tell us. So this is the way it works. So I just come back from Zurich and I bought one of these bars. Uh, so ask me why I bought it. So, so they said, why did you buy it? I said, to take home to my daughter as a present. So ask me why that was. So they asked me. I said, well, because I've been away and I want to buy a present. So, okay, ask me that. So why do you want to buy a present? Because you've been away. Well, she's my daughter. I'll tell her I missed her. So why, if you go back tonight anyway, why do you need to buy a triangular piece of chocolate and tell her you missed her? Because I love her. That's why I bought the Toblerone. So if in the store you can associate that product with you buying love for your daughter, you'll sell it. And that's purely emotional. And that company now has messages on their packs that says, for my loved one. They're words, which isn't perfect, but it's better. And that's it. So if you want something... If you want something in life, if you want to lose weight, if you want to get more money, if you want to get a job, if you want to get a new car, understand emotionally what it'll give you. Tell your emotional brain what you're going to get. Fight, flight, find a mate. Once your emotional brain gets it, it'll go and get it for you. Wow. It's amazing. That, that's <laughs> you want it, chat? <laughs> yes, I appreciate it. So um, as I was preparing my notes, which I thought it was enough, but I mean – 
you've given me so much information, given everyone, all our listeners, so much information in such little time. But as I was preparing my notes for, for this week, my wife pulled, uh, well, not pulled me aside, but she was like, honey, why don't you ask the author you're, you're interviewing? Uh, I, oh, she was like, actually, I have a great question that you can ask him. Um, and it's, uh, has he mastered his brain? And she was sort of like giddy and like, yeah, you should ask him that. And I was like, and I was sort of my first reaction was like, I don't think he's truly mastered your brain. Sort of what this book is all about. It's not really literally mastering your brain. It's understanding what the brain does and why it does it. Like I mentioned before. So my question to you, I mean, you kind of answered it before, but maybe a lot of elaborating a little more. Does one truly, truly ever master their brain? No. If you imagine how many billions or trillions of neurons and synapses are going around between your ears right now, how many calculations it says in the book, we make it every half, every split second. We're not going to master that in for a long time. It's certainly not in my life. However, and I go back to the point I made earlier, if you've got this phenomenal capability that is the power of thousands upon thousands upon millions of actual supercomputers, and you can tap into just a bit of it. So, you know, you are at a distinct advantage over most of the population of planet Earth. So, so I'm, I'm just making this up as I go along. I'm just thinking out loud. I actually think the book might, might, should have been titled Master Other People's Brains. Because once you know how yours works, you know how theirs works, and that gives you the advantage towards whatever you want to get. Um, wow. so, but, <laughs> that, that's sort of all, that's also scary and amazing to think. Yeah, one more story quickly. One more story. Yes. I, I, love it. Um, I, I, I went to my first ever medical, age 57, last year. And the, the doctor says, mm, you're a bit overweight. You could do it losing a few pounds. Right, I will. So I literally use, this is, use my own tools. And uh, in 101 days, I lost 28 pounds. Bravo. And I was, I was starting, you know, it was nothing to, do with, nothing to do with clever, nothing to do with super me. It was just understanding why my brain went after food. And coming up with a strategy to work around it. For example, you have if you go on a diet, your brain knows you're on a diet and it fights to get more food. It sends out some hormones mid-morning when you've only had a small breakfast and mid-afternoon when you've had a small lunch. If you feed it some scraps, some titbits, mid-morning, mid-afternoon, it goes away thinking you fed it. And so you don't have to eat. There you go. It's things like that. It's just you know, anything you want. Work out how the brain does it and then work out how to deal with it. That's that's the way to start. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. It's just blowing my mind constantly. Um, why or what drove you? Because like you, like you mentioned, you were in a, a, you were an expert in shopping behavior. What sort of um, drove you to begin to write this book and explain everything that's in here? What sort of, what was that turning point to say, okay, now I'm going to, do this and speak about what the brain is capable of. What what was that turning point in your life? Yeah, uh, was there a turning point? Probably. I'll come on to that in a minute. But the motivation was if I've spent all these years um, being paid by these big companies to help people buy more candy, more cola, more breakfast cereals, more clothes, whatever. Um, I've also helped people, I've never encouraged smoking, but helped people change the cigarettes they buy. Uh, buy and you think, I'm, I seem to have got these tools now. Um, and you see people in life, you think, you just need a helping hand. And it was just a case of, I, I've done my bit now. I've, I've, you know, I've learned all this stuff. For me to just keep taking it into these ivory towers of these big companies, uh, when there's other people who just need the, the simplest of help. I mean, I'll give the specific, the turning point. The turning point was doing some work in Johannesburg in South Africa, doing some work in uh, Soweto, Southwest Township, Dubai, in uh, a supermarket, paying a guy uh, 10 rand, which was about a dollar, to look after my car all day while I did some research. And he, he dutifully did that and everything else. And I saw all these fantastic people with nothing and with, with absolutely nothing. And I thought, these people, and they were, you just think these people, they've still got the brain between their ears. Right. They just, they don't need to go and 
they were going to an awful lot of, I'm not going to go in this conversation where I'm going, but they were going to an awful lot of seminars and things, paying money that they couldn't afford, trying to learn the wrong stuff. And it's a case of you don't, don't worry about all that mumbo jumbo. Here's some things you can use today. This is how you work. Go and deal with it. And it's that, I think. And I, I probably wrote it as much as anything for them. You know, just go and get it out of the library, download it off Amazon, and just go and do stuff. Don't pay people hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars for a three or four day course. Something that you can learn on your own. Yeah, who else has got your brain? So would you have any advice for anyone who is starting a business or already owns one that uh, they can use to attract and keep customers? You sort of mentioned that what sort of the, the airport story is finding that sort of what attracts that customer. Yeah, again, I sound like a stuck record. Uh, as we say. My apologies. It's just the way my questions are sort of yeah, structured. No. Uh, it comes out of emotion, but when it comes to starting a business... The biggest thing stopping somebody start a business, they all say, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to create my own cake shop. I'm going to create my own whatever. Get them to put a date in the diary. You can't say one day soon. You can't even say three weeks. It's got to be a date. And you have to then go and tell people that that's the date. Because then you will find your brain gets you ready for that momentous decision. So you do start it. You don't put it off. Otherwise, we just keep putting things off. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and ask my boss for a pay rise. I'm going to ask him just one day soon. Yeah. I'm going to ask him. Right on your board, next to your desk, next Tuesday, 10 a.m., I'm going to the boss. Then your brain will get you geared up emotionally to go and have that conversation. Same with starting a business. The other thing about business is I've done it for 20, 20 odd years. Businesses are run with a lot of fear in mind. Employers frighten employees. Debt collectors frighten other companies, big companies frighten small companies. That's the way it works. Recognize fear for what it is, empty. Yeah, what is at the end of the fear? If, if you think, um, you know, oh, I can't, I can't, that man's going to shout at me. If, if, I don't do, if I don't deliver this hamper on 12 o'clock on Tuesday, he's going to shout at me. And, well, it's a shout. What is it? It's a $50 hamper. You know, is that the end of your life? Right. Or will you be all right to get it at 12.30? And people get so wound up in how, how frightened they are of things that aren't actually frightening. Get to think through what you're worried about in your business and you'll find it's not as bad as you thought. It's not, you know, it's, chances are your family aren't going to pass away. Chances are you're not going to lose your house. Chances are you're going to get told off by somebody or look a bit silly. That's what you're worrying about day in, day out in your new business. Don't. It's not, it's not a worry. So you sort of mentioned sort of writing a date down to accomplish something. It's training your brain to have a set date. What or how would someone be able to overcome procrastination? Because when you said that, the word procrastination sort of came into my mind. And it's just yeah. like my own experiences is like, I, I mean, I've suffered with procrastination. And even to this day, I, I, I suffer with procrastination and how I just set things off. And even sometimes when I set a date and I'm so confident that I can succeed by that day, I sort of procrastinate and make excuses for myself as to why I need another week or another month or another couple of weeks. So how does one overcome procrastination? Uh, well, another tool you can use, I may have mentioned, I can't remember, but it's, it's a very good tool, is don't just tell somebody, tell everybody. And don't just tell everybody in a, in a meaningless way. Look your loved ones in the eye and say, next Tuesday, I'm going to ask for a pay rise. Look your, your children in the eye and say, next Tuesday, I'm going to try and get some money for this house. Look people in the eye. You know, you're on a podcast. Yeah. Tell everybody what's going to happen. Get them to phone you next Wednesday and say, what did you do last Tuesday? Tell them. Then your brain will think, I can't let, I can't let myself down. Sort of like an accountability. Yeah, yeah. But you know, as soon as you know everybody is waiting on your waiting on you to do this thing that you've been procrastinating about. So they think, I'm just going to do it. Just uh, You make the fear of them um, making you embarrassed and guilty. Make that worse than procrastinating another week. So your brain is lazy. Your brain is very lazy. Not you personally. All our brains are very lazy. We take the course of least resistance. If the course of least resistance is doing the thing you've been putting off as opposed to facing all your friends, colleagues, and family you'll do that and your brain will do it for you. You haven't got to worry about it. It just happens. Your brain will change the way you think about it. You won't even notice how you're thinking about it. So sort of um, diving into a little bit about family and friends, what would be a good way to overcome sort of negative 
talking towards what you want to do. So let's say, let's say you said, if I wanted to achieve something, you, you need to be held accountable. So you tell your friends, you tell your family, I'm going to ask for parties next Tuesday. But then how do you overcome them saying, no, you're not, you're not going to do it. You're not capable. You're probably oh, going to do it. That's fantastic. That's just what you want them to say. <laughs> Come on. I mean, if, 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 if somebody says to you, you're never, you're never going to run a mile in 10 minutes, make it up. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that you shouldn't see that as if you if you believe them if you accept that then you're you're weaker than they are they're weak for telling you that because right. they're not being supportive as a human but if you believe that that's just pathetic sorry you know if there's something you'll never do that say, i will watch this and then you should see it as as we say red rag to a ball i'm going to do this you know this is exactly what i'm going to do and you know there's all the famous stories you must have heard some of them about there's a guy in the uk dyson uh, makes vacuum cleaners yes yeah, and uh, I think he, he had 1,200 prototypes before he got the thing to work. Yeah. So he didn't say he failed 1,200 times. He said, I learned something every time, but I also learned what not to do 1,200 times so I, until I got the one that worked. There's a famous story from years ago about the KFC guy about all his recipes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's all these stories. That, you know, it's, it's your own fault. It, it, it's a, sorry, I'm being critical of you here. No, no not at if, all. If you let people, if you, somebody says, you're not going to do that, you'll never do that, just see that as, I will. Watch me. Motivation. That should just, yeah, just what? Watch me. <laughs> and can you imagine if you go around telling lots of people, you know, I'm, I'm never going to make anything. I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to get a girlfriend. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. You start telling your brain you're never going to do it. Your brain will think, okay, we'll never do it. I'll give you what you keep telling everybody. And it'll never do it. You know, there's, there's another exercise you can do. If, if you want to start business, take two pieces of paper. Write down, just free flow, as much as you can, about right, starting a business. Mm-hmm. Why you should do it, why you shouldn't do it. Just write, 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 write. Type it on the screen, whatever you want to do. Da, 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 da. Then do a bit of analysis on what you've written. How many? Start by saying, how many negative words have I got and how many positive words have I got? How many times have I said I will versus how many times have I said I can't, for example, as I've written this diatribe down? Count them. And you should, you know, your, your chances of success are the amount of positive words you've got. But then go back to it. And rewrite it, but changing all the negative words for their positive alternatives. So instead of saying, I can't raise the capital, I can raise the capital. I've just got to work out how. And suddenly, it's a different conversation. And, and then you're telling your brain, you can do this. If you tell your brain it can't do something, it's only too happy to obey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that is, again, astonishing. Um Goal setting, how important when it comes to, again, success in all aspects of life, what, how, what importance does goal setting have in one's life? Goals are, goals are brilliant. We all need goals. You, know, you run out of goals, you stop breathing. I mean, that's it because you've achieved everything. Right. However, the goals we set are often misplaced, misguided, and just plain wrong. So here's a great wrong goal. I want a million dollars. That's a dumb goal. A million dollars is nothing. A million dollars is loads of bits of paper with a bit of metal inside them. Right. It's nothing. What you want isn't even what the million dollars will buy you. It's what that million dollar purchases will get you, will give you. You'll give your family security and a home. You'll feed your family. You'll have that Ferrari that gets you that girl from down the street, whatever you want. That's all the stuff your brain understands. So don't put a picture of a million dollars on your wall. It doesn't mean anything. It's, it's what the million dollars will get you emotionally. And, the, it's kind of, and then the other thing we do is, if I said, you know, I want, the, I want the million dollars to get the Ferrari to get the girl down the road. If that was my goal, uh-huh. so I've got a picture of the girl down the road next to the Ferrari and the millions I've got set. That's too big a, a leap for my brain. It, it'll go after it, but it, it's too easy for my brain to get despondent en route. Because I'm still riding a push bike, a pedal cycle, and I still haven't got a girlfriend, for example. I don't know. So we need some goals on the way. We need some mile markers. So on my route to the million dollars, to the Ferrari, to the girl, I'll get the first dollar. So if I find a dollar, I earn a dollar, that's a goal. Right, once I've got that one, I'm going to try and find five dollars. And then I'm doing it. I'm on the way. Um, There's a famous piece of research about people in coffee shops. You get a card. And if you get this card and you get 10 stamps on it and then you get a free coffee. Are you familiar with this? But that's the way it works. And X amount, X percent of people who have one of these cars bother to fill it in. If the coffee shop says it's 12 stamps and the first two stamps will give you free, so it's still a gap of 10, okay. 
twice as many people complete the card because they've been started on the journey and their brain completes the journey to get to the end of the journey now they've started. So they've had the journey started for them. So you go after your goal of the girl down the street with the, assuming the Ferrari going to use the million dollars, that's the end of the journey. Somebody needs to start you on the journey. The dollar or the $10 is the first little step of that journey. So you need a journey, not just a, an end point. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm just in awe. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm just in awe and all the information you have. Um, do you have any? It's too much. I mean, I'm hitting. I, I do this every time. I talk too fast and I give people too much information because I've learned so much over so many years. You just want to sort of share it all and you yes, just can't. Exactly. It, it should be, you know, hundreds of little 10 minute segments, but that's not me. I just speak. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of people who love to hear you listen. Are you working on anything else that, I mean, if you're allowed to share anything, any new uh, um, creation? The, the, there's stuff going on professionally, which is. Uh, which involve a lot more U.S. travel and things about helping some big brands over there some more. But that's not for today. That's Yeah, that's stuff I can't share. Okay, that's so fine. Totally understand. More, now, there is some stuff I can share. And I, I'm sort of asking your, you to – I'm asking opinion. Okay. I, I don't want to write another book. Okay. I've emptied my head three times in three books, okay. this one and two others. I don't want to write. A lot of people are telling me to write the same one, and I'm asking your opinion whether I should bother and your, your listeners. So here we go. And I'll take any feedback you give me now and in the future. They want me to write the the diet book. The diet book. The diet book. Now, there's a there's a book out there which I don't rate, but it's that's fine. There's a there's a, there's a book out there called Think Yourself Thin, but it's not about thinking yourself thin. It's just a very good title for a different book. Right. It, it's it's is there is there is there, I'm going to mix my metaphors. Is there a hunger for using your brain to get a better diet, eat better, without having to go through the pain of calorie counting and stuff i i think there isn't only because it hasn't been introduced only because it's not something that's well known i think if someone and people who um are introduced to something like that and are given the understanding to uh, believe that getting into shape living a healthier lifestyle has less to do with um calorie intake and calorie count and all those micros and more to do with why the brain desire sweets or unhealthy things then the market the 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 that democrat democrat um would understand that and crave it and want to continue to learn about it so again i just i don't think it's there because it hasn't been introduced but if it's if it's introduced and it's taught then i think that's a gold mine and because because the the nutrition um industry and uh exercising it's is such a rave and has been such a rave for so long i think introducing that the brain has so much and if not the majority of what to do when it comes to getting into shape i think it'd, it'd, it'd be amazing i mean very very quick examples i mean for example they did some research where um, if you get if you change the size of a plate you have your breakfast and your dinner on you eat less mm -hmm. fact if you have a short fat glass you drink a different amount from it than if you have a tall thin glass right. if you if you go to the bar and drink pints of beer as you do in the in europe and the uk um you will drink at the speed of the people around you right so you give people glasses that are fat at the top and thin at the bottom so it suddenly shoots down the bottom all this stuff affect it's nothing to do with calorie counting it's i hate to use the word but it's tricking the modern brain by using letting the old brain decide what it thinks it's eating and and it's just it's whether I can be bothered to invest a year of my life. <laughs> Pardon me. Like I said, I think when you mentioned sort of that that whole um, eating on a smaller pay I, I, stuff like that, I've I've learned. Um, I think people have sort of an idea. Okay, if I eat on a smaller plate. I've, I can train my mind to sort of think that I'm full. I can train my mind to believe that my stomach is full. S small little aspects like that um, people know. But I think, especially with your knowledge, you can dive into, like you. I've never heard the the analogy or the, the, the fact that if you have a smaller, if you have, I'm sorry, a bigger, um, at a pub, if you have a bigger glass at the top and then smaller at the bottom, people are going to uh, drink it f according to what, 
other people were drinking. I, I I've never heard something like that. So it's definitely yeah, it's interesting. Like, it's all part of the human. There we are. It's, it's the it's the human animal at, at play. And uh, so yeah, apart from that, I'm just a. Uh, I, I sound over optimist. I just go through enjoying myself. <laughs> to be to sound very American. Love my family. Walk my dog. I'm happy. That'll do. Amazing. Um, before um we sign off. I just want to ask you one quick question. Um, when it comes to me reading, I've my love for books has grown tremendously over the last few years. Um, I never used to like books. I used to like think they were my kryptonite, but I've grown <laughs> to love and cherish books. Um, but when I read books, uh, your to be honest, yours, this book, and um, I don't know if you've heard of. Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. Um, those two books were the only two books that I've ever read without an audible, an audio book. So what are the chances that this can become an audio book? I mean, I've, I've asked many people and I just think that, and while I was reading this, I just kept thinking to myself, man, this should be like a curriculum. This should be like being taught. This is so good information that it should be taught in high schools and colleges. This should be in curriculum. So I just feel like because I have such a high interest in books and because I read my, not most of my books, if not all with audio books, along with my physical books, I think an audible book with, would be amazing. And if there's anything I can do towards making right. that happen, I I've submitted, um, the, you can go to audible.com. Sorry to sort of cut you off, but um, I've submitted um, uh, sort of like a form to audible.com. You can like suggest book and I've submitted master your brain about five or six times. And, you know, they always push me to the bottom of the list, but I just, I just think it'd be a, a great, great value to a lot of people who, who sort of like me back then were sort of kryptonite when it comes to books, but love audiobooks like to listen to them in the car or that's the only way they can read a book yeah there um you're absolutely right should be and I, i'll i'll let you in not a secret i'll let you into the way publishing works not in a good way okay um i hope i don't get sued this is the book's published by pearson in new york so go and knock on the door they published the thing <laughs> it sold fifteen thousand copies up until about six months ago so more now uh-huh. it's selling fine but that doesn't that's that's not that doesn't light their lights that doesn't excite them so they're not interested in it uh now they own it that's the trouble when these publishers take your book they own it i can do nothing i can't even suggest i mean i, I don't even see it. i don't like the cover i said about words and pictures it's all pictures it should should be pictures on the cover not words um, but I have no say in that. I have no say in anything. The only way, and I implore your your listeners to do the same, get in touch with Pearson in New York and say you want, it's them that can make this, not even audible, it's Pearson that can make get that done. Whether they want me to read it out or they get some famous person or non-famous person to read it out, or that, it's, they are they are the, the guardians of whatever happens to it. So, yeah, so, the sole proprietor of the book. Yeah, I, I, I just wrote the thing. I'm gone now and then. <laughs> It's out of your hands now. Yeah, um, I, wish it, I wish that wasn't the case. Um, yeah, I do wish that wasn't the case because it's it's a shame. Do you? I mean, do you agree the fact that it should be an audible? Yeah, absolutely, I do. Not because I trust me, people don't get rich writing books. I, I, I so it's, unless you write about ten million copies, you're not going to get rich. Um, but it, the way we live our life now with our smartphones and everything else, much as I like books because I like to write in the cover and write in the margins and all the stuff on psychology. Most people don't want to do that. They, they've got their Kindles and their iPads yeah, and all right, this. That's right, what right. they want to do. Yeah. And they, they're listening to them on the train, uh, everywhere else, and in the car, in the automobile. So it should, all books should be audible. And, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to know how to get a big uh, New York publisher to listen to one guy from England that says you should turn this into an audio book. I think if you've got a listenership that they had a bit of a concerted effort. And let's be honest. Tell their friends to have a concerted effort. Um, let's get let's get a, let's get let's get multiple knocks on their doors. So they start to listen because I can't do it. And I wrote the thing. Well, I'm gonna personally personally make sure our listeners and I'm gonna see if I start a petition or maybe a GoFundMe and get this thing into an audible without a doubt. I mean, this thing definitely needs to get into the hands or for into people who don't believe 
in physical books anymore. Like you said, the, the technology world nowadays, um, we're going to make it happen. Uh, and to use sort of your technique, let me just sort of look into my calendar because I'm going to set a date as to um, when it's going to be achieved just because I'm not cocky, but confident that it, it will happen. I'm giving myself myself and my listeners September 1st. September 1st. Call me September the 2nd. Okay. Uh, I'm going to put my diary that you're going to call me September the 2nd, yep. or I'll call you. September the 2nd, I will be calling you and letting you know that Pearson Publishing, uh, or whatever they're called, is yep. going to make your book into an audible. I am... My listeners, Paradisos, everyone in the community is going to make sure that they make it into an Audible. That's it. And uh, when we go off air, I'll give you the name of the person to speak to. Awesome. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Mr. Adcock, thank you again. I just mean it from the bottom of my heart that you took the time out of your assuming busy life to sit down and speak to just a regular old kid from New York who runs this podcast with somewhat of a good list uh, uh listening um and again i just i'm honored any any final thoughts that you would like to share with with the, our listeners before we we sign off uh, a bizarre thing obviously as we've done this little chat for the last hour or so i've been looking at your face um one of the things i do is i read face expressions yeah uh, uh one of the things that this is just a sign off this is this is a bit of free free um yeah. therapy there you okay. go <laughs> Pretty much everything you've said and done this afternoon, you've done with a smile on your face. Now, there's a well-known thing in psychology that uh, people don't get depressed. They are depressed. And it's to do with your physiology and your psychology. So how you hold your face expression, how you hold your body posture, determines directly how you feel. If you stand up, put your shoulders back, you'll feel confident. If you sit and slouch, you'll feel depressed. That's, you can't help that. That's the way we're, we're wired. Um, if you don't have facial expressions on your face, you won't feel the expression. That's why actors and actresses have Botox are mad because they can't enact because they can't get the face expressions to character act. So people should look at you smiling and try and talk with a smile on the face. Do the old talk with a pencil in your mouth because um, it really works. You come across so much more positively. And if you come across positively, you're also um, thinking more positively. Your brain does it automatically because it's, it's reacting to how you feel. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that all the people listening to this that can't see your face will hear the tone in your voice that's more positive. So that take that as a real, you are a happy guy. I really, Whatever you I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I try to be happy. Um, and that's what this podcast is about. It's just finding happiness, showing people that a small thing when it comes to changing your thought, you know, changing the way you see life and the way you see things in in this world, my brother and I spoke about uh, lenses of perception and how uh, we we see through our lens, but we don't really see what the lens is. And if we sort of change that, we can see the world differently. And I just think that teaching things like that is what brings happiness, what brings joy, what brings knowledge, what brings information, and, and what we feel is a part of or, or category, subcategories, and what brings such a happy and fulfilled life what we think yeah, so and, and i'll end on this note this really this is a lovely positive note in that as we've been around for 300 million years as some form of species mm -hmm. with a brain um in the last 20 years we've probably learned more about the brain than we did in the last 300 million minus that 20 we are learning so much quicker the challenge we have now is keeping up with uh, industries way behind the learning politicians thankfully are way behind the learning <laughs> thankfully um, yeah most people are way behind the learning so the, the few of us that are still learning are at a distinct advantage, and we can do so much with it. You're just going to have to face facts that most people out there will think you're cuckoo because they don't they don't know the stuff you're talking about, and it's they will know in a few years' time, but they don't know yet. Um, so before we sign off, um, before we we head on our separate ways, one last question: Is it true that we only use eleven percent of our brains? No. No, we use all of our brain, uh, but not necessarily in the best way. So if, you know, the, the brain doesn't work anywhere near like people think it does. And I don't know how it works. Nobody knows how it actually works. It's, okay. too, it's like the universe. It's too big to see where the edge is. Right. But, for example, they talk about things like um, 
left brain and right brain. Mm -hmm. Both those halves are all over the brain. It's just they happen to call them left and right because it's easy. We talk about emotion and reason. They're actually interconnected. We've got the thalamus and the hippocampus and all that, but it's, it's interconnected. Um, what I would, the, that we only use 11% of our brain and those that learn to learn a bit more do so much more with their brain. It's, I would say, look at it this way. We only use 11% of our brain constructively. We waste the other 89% just <laughs> pointlessly doing mental stuff that we needn't do. For example, worrying about things that we shouldn't worry about. For example, defeating ourselves by saying we can't do something all the time when that's just giving our brain a job. We're telling our brain the wrong thing. Um, I, I'm one of these people that sees my brain as this this real mate of mine, but it's an, it's a, it's an angry teenage mate of mine. Uh -huh. And I have to be quite dominant over it. Otherwise, it does stupid stuff. Um, so, 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 yeah, so... In terms of the all eleven percent, the angry teenage, the av, sorry, the angry teenager is probably the the eighty nine percent, and the more mature adult is the eleven percent. So they're just out of balance. That's all it is. <laughs> Amazing. Again, Mister Philip Adcock, thank you again so much. Hopefully, we can cross paths in person. I can shake your hand. Maybe we can sit down for a cup of coffee or tea and just continue talking. Um, I'm sure I didn't ask nowhere near enough questions to dig into what that brain has to offer of yours but um and i'm sure our listeners want to hear more of you maybe in the near future we can maybe create a short series where we can dig into master your brain and and such so again thank you so much for taking the time and just sitting and having a conversation with me thoroughly enjoyed it and yeah let's do some more stuff we can do some little little podcast ets that people can take away and do little things with uh, but we'll be speaking again on the 2nd of September, I guarantee it. Oh, guarantee it, guarantee it. Again, Mr. Adcock, thank you again so much. You have a wonderful, wonderful day and uh, blessings you. to all. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.